Hi, I'm Dr. Daron Schneider. I'm a general internist at Abington Health right outside of Philadelphia. And today we're going to talk about a landmark trial called the DCCT trial. And here to discuss this landmark trial with me is Dr. Jack Leahy. Uh, Doran, hi. Uh, I'm Jack Leahy, and just to introduce myself, I'm uh, the head of endocrine here at the University of Vermont in uh, Burlington, Vermont. Fabulous. Well, thank you for spending a few minutes with us here today, Dr. Leahy. Um, we wanted to uh, really uh, reflect on the history of the DCCT, uh, given that we're coming up on really 30 years of achievement, uh, and uh, that reflects both the DCCT and then the continuation study called the EDIC study. So, so this was a trial that was designed to deal with a really controversial question many years ago, a question that actually younger people have sort of forgot, which was, is there actually a proven benefit of uh, intensive blood glucose control in patients who have diabetes? And if there is, what actually is that benefit? And, and the question back then was more focused on microvascular complications as opposed to macrovascular complications because really the classic diabetes complications back in the 80s and 90s related to issues in terms of the eyes and kidneys and legs and that kind of thing. This was a trial of taking patients with type 1 diabetes uh, broken into two subgroups. So about half of the patients, and this is a U.S. trial, and on average I think there was 1,440 patients or so that were enrolled, about half of them were absolutely free of any microvascular complications, and in particular, um, retinal microvascular complications. And, and the other half had had their illness for a little more, on average, than five years, and they had some very, very modest uh, retinal complications, nothing uh, terribly overt. And so the design of the trial was to intensify blood glucose blood glucose control in a subgroup, and then look at the outcomes, primarily in terms of retinal uh, health, but also many of the other complications in terms of um, peripheral vascular issues, neuropathy, and also uh, in terms of kidneys, and then compare that safety in terms of rates of hypoglycemia and really anything else that might have been identified. Well, what a wonderful uh, intro to the trial. You clearly referenced the, the outstanding benefit that we saw in microvascular uh, disease uh, in the order of 50, 60, almost 70% reduction. Uh, in that benefit, uh, we did see that it did, did come at some degree of cost uh, as it relates to uh, particularly hypoglycemia and weight. Uh, if we can spend just a few moments talking about each one of those, let's start with hypoglycemia. Uh, this, uh, it was a uh, pre-specified endpoint uh, that uh, was collected uh, prospectively. W what did we learn uh, about uh, really driving down that uh, blood sugar uh, to a mean of seven? Uh, what happened to hypoglycemia? So what was seen back then was a three-fold higher rate of serious hypoglycemia and admissions to the hospital for hypoglycemia versus the control group. And I think when I try and teach this trial to uh, students and to, to the residents, I try, I try and point out to them, this is not junky hypoglycemia. But it was clear intensive therapy back then came with a significant price in terms of hypoglycemia. Right, right. So let's move now to weight. What, what happened over the course of DCCT? And then uh, we will uh, talk about the extension trial in a moment. But th that, I believe, was one of the other major uh, costs, if you will, correct? 
Uh, you are exactly correct. And in fact, everything I've said so far, at least in terms of the risk of hypoglycemia, was predicted. I mean, no one's going to be surprised that when you lower A1C dramatically in these patients that, sure, hopefully you would see benefits, what they did, but it's going to come with a cost, and the cost was hypoglycemia. What was not predicted and actually was a big shocker is that there also came with a substantial risk of weight gain. And again, if you go to the original trial, the New England Journal paper, and just kind of quickly read, what you will see is that there was on average about a five-pound weight gain. So remember, this is about a six- to seven-year trial in the conventionally treated patients as opposed to about a 10-pound weight gain or thereabouts in the intensively treated patients. So when you first read that, I think you could sort of say, oh, well, you know, it's there, but it's not stunningly huge. So even though it was there, it was reported as an outcome, I don't think people uh, initially sort of appreciated that this is kind of much of an issue. And then um, starting two years later, lots and lots of subgroup analyses, different kinds of papers take this huge database and start to analyze it. And there was a paper published a couple of years later, which I think really um, put this into a capsule that we had not anticipated. And that was they started to look at the weight gain in the patient population in quartiles. And so there was a quartile of people who didn't gain any weight. So they were, you know, they were fine with the intensive therapy. And then the opposite quartile the average weight gain was very, very substantial. I can't remember the exact number, but probably about 20 pounds on average. And actually, when you went to that quartile, not only were they gaining weight, they were uh, also having manifestations of many of the metabolic issues we sort of link to um, weight gain, such as um, blood pressure increases, such as more of a metabolic lipid profile. And for the first time, I think people's eyes opened up to realize, well, wow, there maybe is some overlap between the metabolic background that we then had typically linked really only to type 2 diabetes, that maybe in some patients with type 1 diabetes, there's actually a similar kind of predisposition which might be brought out through intensive insulin therapy. And now we again move into today's world. And that's a huge topic of conversation now because our teenagers and young people with type 1 diabetes are getting bigger and bigger and, and are having more of the metabolic sequelae that one sort of thinks about with obesity and insulin resistance. It's not unique to type 2. We're seeing it more and more in type 1 diabetes. So, so that's the other issue with weight. It's really uh, emerged years after the trial to recognize this is a major you know, risk of people who are on intensive insulin therapy if they have if they have the genetic predisposition to be at risk for that. Well, Jack, I really want to thank you. Uh, th this trial, the DCCT, uh, and the observation period set the standard uh, that has been, as you just articulated, uh, uh, emulated by other trials, uh, and clearly uh, in its 30th anniversary is still holding the test for time. Uh, what I'd like to do is wrap it up right now uh, and refer uh, our listeners to betacellsindiabetes.org uh, for additional information. Uh, and uh, at this point, again, one final thank you for uh, Dr. Leahy and an eloquent review of the trial. Uh, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you, Dr. Leahy. Thank you very much.